upper screen we're switching to what is literally the high point of mars okay now boys if you just stop carrying on like we just might dedicate this next song to y'all cargo secured all passengers boarded sir all hands stand by w, w radio your information station welcome to the wdw radio show your Walt Disney World Information Station. This is show number 59 for the week of March 23rd, 2008. As always, I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and thank you for taking the time to tune in again this week. I will begin this week's show with news coming out of Walt Disney World, which includes information about some new Mickey ears that you can customize and design yourself, the Epcot Flower and Garden Festival, as well as news from the studios and resorts. In the Walt Disney World rumor mill, I'll talk about cars in the Magic Kingdom, and I'm talking about the attraction and not the movie, a new character you just might see walking, or rolling, around Disney's Hollywood Studios, as well as some of the cast of characters that you just might see walking around during Star Wars weekends this summer. Steve Barrett, author of the Hidden Mickeys series of books, will join me this week as we start a new series of themed Hidden Mickeys hunts, and we'll begin Under the Sea, literally, at the Seas Pavilion in Epcot. Listener Sarah Kelleth and I will take a look at yet another one of Walt Disney World's hidden treasures and simple pleasures as we look at one of the most unique dining experiences in all of Walt Disney World, afternoon tea at the Grand Floridian Resort and Spa's Garden View Tea Room. I'm way behind in answering your listener email, so I'll respond to some of your questions, which include topics such as making reservations for 2009, grand gatherings, the clubs of Pleasure Island, Divine, the Tiki Room, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. We'll start off our news from Walt Disney World this week over at the Magic Kingdom, where listeners have been reporting to me, and I saw myself a couple of weeks ago, some minor repairs taking place on and under the Liberty Square Bridge. Now, some listeners have even reported seeing divers in the water near and under the bridge at various times throughout the day. Well, a recent filing at the Orange County Comptroller's Office this past week shows that, in fact, the bridge will be undergoing some repairs, as the filing states that Disney will, quote, rebuild a replacement bridge. Now, whether that means repairs to the existing ones or they will be rebuilding a new one is yet to be seen, and how this may affect the parade routes is obviously yet to be determined. Also, a number of weeks ago, I reported on the rumored changes coming to the turnstiles at the Magic Kingdom. Well, it appears as though the changes to the finger scanners and removal appears to be true as they are no longer in use over at the Magic Kingdom, as a number of listeners have let me know that only their cards were scanned and not their hands. I assume that this is going to be a permanent change and that we will not see the finger scanners returning to the Magic Kingdom, and I assume if the test goes well, we probably will see them being removed from the other three theme parks as well. The Walt Disney World Moms panel has published the dates for this year's Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party, and the 2000 dates are November 10th, 11th, 14th, 16th, 20th, 21st, and 30th, 
And in December, the dates are the 2nd, the 4th, 5th, 7th, 9th, 11th, 12th, 14th, 16th, 18th, and 19th. Now, it is possible that additional dates might be added, especially after the 19th, uh, although those days have not been released as yet. Tickets are not yet available, but if you would look probably around the beginning of May, that's when Disney does release uh, the tickets for sale, so you should stay tuned to DisneyWorld.com for more information and to check out exactly when tickets will be available for purchase. Finally, over in the Magic Kingdom, I spoke a few weeks ago about the Chapeau on Main Street USA being closed. Well, it looks like the closure was worth the wait because now that it's reopened, you can get custom Mickey ears at the Chapeau. That's right. You can now create your own Mickey ears as much as you've just been able to create your own tiara and pirate hats at various locations throughout the Walt Disney World Resort. For ears starting at $250 and beanies at $595, patches, packages of letters, a whole different variety of options. You can also get embroidery on there at an additional fee. I've seen some photos. I'm going to be heading down to Walt Disney World in the next couple of weeks. I will be posting some photos online. But you can get very, very creative. There's a lot of different choices that you can add. Uh, and it's only we can only assume that these custom ears are going to start to show up at other locations throughout property. Over in Epcot, the 15th annual Epcot International Flower and Garden Festival kicked off this past weekend on March 19th, and it's going to run for a full 75 days until June 1st at Walt Disney World. Now, for the first time in its history, the event began in March, and guests are once again being treated to some spectacular sights and sounds. Now, this year's theme is Fun in the Sun, and guests can see everything from a 14-foot goofy topiary riding a 6-foot wave of flowers and plants, as well as sandcastles, palm trees... A volleyball beach scene starring Donald Duck and Daisy, and Stitch keeping a watch from a lifeguard stand nearby. Now, new festival items this year are going to include Peter Pan's Neverland Garden, which is a children's area along the Imagination Walkway from Future World to World Showcase. The entire area is going to be pirate-themed, and you're going to find topiaries of Peter Pan, Captain Hook, Tinkerbell, and of course the TikTok Croc, as well as a shaded play area for children. Over in World Showcase, you're going to find the three caballeros, including Donald Duck, Jose Carioca, and Panchito, the Mexican char rooster, as topiaries, celebrating their new show, The Grand Fiesta Tour, starring the three caballeros over by the Mexico Pavilion. In all, there's going to be more than 70 topiaries, plus 30 million blooms, floral beds, bonsai trees, and rose gardens, gracing the more than 305 acres of Future World and World Showcase. Now, beyond the displays of flowers, it's also going to be hostess a lot of celebrity guest speakers, some hands-on seminars, and innovative planting demonstrations and exhibits, such as the new Florida-style keyed outdoor living garden display. And every evening, there's flower power concerts rocking the park with live entertainment from top acts from the 60s and 70s, including the Guess Who, fan favorite Davy Jones, Jose Feliciano, Petula Clark, Paul Revere and the Raiders, as well as other guests. Kids, if you have no idea who I'm talking about, trust me, go and see some of these acts. I promise you'll enjoy them. Some of the other festival highlights are going to include the new Garden Town Festival Center, which is in Future World East next to the Universe of Energy. There you can find festival merchandise, attend speaker presentations and demonstrations. There's also the Garden Town Kid Fun Fair, which has interactive elements and activities for children. Throughout the festival, there's going to be plenty of themed weekend events, such as I Dig Bugs, Art in the Garden, Coming Up Roses, featuring the Mother's Day brunch, the Garden Party, featuring the Doll and Teddy Bear event, and so much more. There's also going to be Disney Gardening at Home presentations, where Disney horticulturists are going to show you some gardening tips and lead guests in a hands-on activity that you can take home. Don't forget there's also Minnie's Magnificent Butterfly Garden with hundreds of butterflies 
in a beautiful walkthrough screen enclosure. My kids love this. It is always a big hit with kids and adults. There's a live exhibit showing how caterpillars form a chrysalis and then eventually emerge as butterflies. And also, the special events only building, which was formerly home to the Wonders of Life Pavilion, is now the location of the new Garden Town Cafe, which is a new dining establishment serving sandwiches, salads, and cheese plates. You'll be able to get healthy choices such as grilled chicken and Caesar salad, smoked turkey and provolone baguettes, roasted vegetable and hummus and whole wheat wraps, plenty of salads, cheese plates, and more. To find out more about the 15th annual Flower and Garden Festival, you can call 407-W-DISNEY or by visiting DisneyWorld.com flower. Don't forget that the festival, including all the gardening programs and the exhibits, is included in your regular Epcot admission. There's no additional tickets for those, although some of the speakers do require an additional paid ticket. Over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, just a couple of quick items. First, the Sorcerer Mickey meet and greet has returned, and it has returned in the anticipated location, which is now over inside the Magic of Disney Animation Building. There's an all-new backdrop, but Mickey is back for meet and greets throughout the day. The original location, as you remember, was over on Mickey Avenue, which obviously has been closed due to the construction for Toy Story Mania. That attraction was supposed to open in summer 2008. I'm now learning that it's probably going to be open in late May, uh, we can probably expect, over in Walt Disney World anyway, soft openings to probably happen in mid-May. You can look for the official opening to probably happen at the end of May, beginning of June, with the D- Disneyland California Adventure version opening up in late June. Finally, at Disney's Hollywood Studios, and speaking of Mickey Avenue slash Pixar Place, the Journey into Narnia exhibit remains closed as it is being refurbished for the updated Journey into Narnia Prince Caspian exhibit to coincide with the release of the movie later on this year. In the new walkthrough exhibit, guests are going to be able to experience an exclusive opportunity to see behind-the-scenes footage, original concept art, storyboards, props, and costumes from the latest installment of the Chronicles of Narnia film. Guests can also explore Aslan's stone table chamber set, which was recreated directly from the original molds. They can see blueprints used for the motion picture and meet Prince Caspian himself. This exhibit is also set to open in late summer 2008. Over at the resorts, the Doubletree Guest Suites at Downtown Disney celebrated two great milestones at a grand reopening event on March 19th. The 229-room all-suite hotel was presented with its official designation as a member of the Florida Green Lodging Program after its multi-million dollar renovation. It also opened a new casual dining experience, the Evergreen Cafe. Now, the new renovations to the resort mean even better amenities for guests, as each guest suite now includes a separate living room area with a pull-out sofa, microwave oven and refrigerator, as well as Wolfgang Puck's in-room gourmet coffee, granite countertops in the bathrooms, Neutrogena bath and body products, marble vanities, and a curved shower rod allowing for 20% more space in the shower, as well as much, much more. For more information about the resort or to book reservations, you can visit Doubletree.com or call 1-800-222-TREE, or you can also contact the hotel directly at 407-934-1000. Over at the Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground, there are some changes taking place as well for the resort, which was one of the original three that opened in 1971. First, to address the needs of today's larger RVs, Disney will begin to widen and lengthen the concrete parking pads while still maintaining the privacy and tranquility provided by the natural vegetation. A new premium campsite is also going to be available that will feature extra-large concrete pads for some of the larger vehicles. There's also going to be upgrades to existing amenities, such as the picnic tables and grills. The main pool at Fort Wilderness is also going to be enhanced with a themed water slide, hot tub, and children's wet play area. 
Now, while this is a resort that I'm really going to cover on a full segment in the show because I think it deserves it, if you've never stayed at one of the resort's 409 very tranquil cabins, then now is the time, as they now all feature brand new furniture, carpeting, fixtures, and linens, obviously a fresh coat of paint, and each cabin features more than 500 square feet of living space, as well as a private patio deck with a charcoal grill and picnic table. The master bedroom sleeps four, the separate living room sleeps two more with a full-size pull-down bed. All the cabins also have vaulted ceilings, color cable TV, DVD players, telephones, uh, a big oval dining table. Obviously, the uh, daily housekeeping service is also provided to all the cabins, so you really get sort of the comforts at home in a very unique atmosphere with all the benefits at staying at a Disney resort. And if you have pets, don't forget that Fort Wilderness has always been pet-friendly, and now dogs are even getting their own playground off their own newly opened Wagon Trails Dog Park, which is an off-leash play area. And of course, don't forget that Fort Wilderness also offers a number of unique recreational activities for humans as well, including horseback riding, fishing excursions, there's the nature trail, boat rentals, volleyball, tennis, bike rentals, and next on my to-do list, the new Wilderness Back Trail Adventure, where you can take a Segway X2 transporter off-road. You can also relax on the beaches on Bay Lake. There's shuffleboard, there's horseback riding, there's so much more. Uh, like I said, I'll cover this as a full segment on the show, but for more information or to make reservations, you can visit wdwcamp.com or you can call 407-WDW-CAMP. Finally, outside the theme parks just a little bit, but interesting, I thought, nonetheless, J3H emailed me and said, Lou, for your geekness, here is the latest on the next wave of Star Wars slash Disney toys. There will be an indie Mickey figure as well, but he's an action figure and not a big fig. Sorry, Eric Hollister. But these all should be available at the Star Wars weekends, probably resort-wide, but obviously definitely in Disney's Hollywood Studios. I will put a link up in this week's show notes to the link that J3H sent me to EndorExpress.net. There they have exclusive pictures of the figures that I will surely make a special trip down just to pick up. And finally, as we rumored some time ago, it's now official that the Children's Place Retail Stores, Inc. is ready to let the Walt Disney Company take back control of about two-thirds of the 335 stores in the Disney Store chain. It's expected that the remaining 115 stores are likely going to close. Remember, back in November 2004, Disney did hand ownership over to the Children's Place and that they would pay royalties to Disney after two years. That deal, unfortunately, or fortunately, has gone sour, and I personally am looking forward to having the the Disney stores back in the hands of the Walt Disney Company. In this week's visit to the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill, we'll start off in the Magic Kingdom, where rumors have changed to the Tomorrowland Indy Speedway are resurfacing yet again, as we mentioned on the show a few months ago. Now, it seems as though the name may be changing slightly to remove the references to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Indy name altogether. Signs and logos have already begun to be removed, and I've also been told that the overhead narration has been modified to remove the the Indy reference as well. I'm also hearing that tests are continuing on a gas-electric hybrid vehicle that may be put onto the Speedway. Supposedly, cast members are going to be tested on the new vehicle in the next few weeks, and we may start seeing these in late April. Now, I've also heard a rumor 
that a second environmentally friendly car powered by ethanol was also tested late last year in November or December. That might also be implemented as well. We don't know if there's going to be a combination of the hybrid and the ethanol cars or if they're going to choose one over the other. We'll obviously have to stay tuned for more uh, to see what, exactly what happens there. And there's also a very, very unconfirmed rumor that, as has happened with other attractions that have gone through some changes, Disney characters might be added to the attraction and or scenery within the next few years. Now, no rumors of a full conversion to a Cars movie-themed attraction seem to have any merit at this time. Over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, I spoke a few weeks ago about the rumor of Wally making his presence felt in the studios once the film was released this summer, but it appears as though that might not be true, as instead he's expected to appear at the studios within the next few weeks instead as a walk-around, lucky the dinosaur-type character that's going to interact with guests much along the same lines as the recent Muppet Mobile Labs tests in Epcot. Now, who knows? Maybe he'll make his appearance in time for Star Wars Weekends when the geek quotient, and that's a good thing, will be at its highest. And don't worry, I can say that because I will be there in full Jawa. I mean, Jedi regalia. But uh, actually, speaking of Star Wars Weekends, they are rapidly approaching. They are going to start the first week in June. And I've got a very good feeling about this, as once again, the event is going to be hosted by Warwick Davis for all four weekends. Some of the other special guests that have yet to be confirmed, but will definitely be there, include uh, Peter Mayhew, who is Chewbacca, David Prowse, who's Darth Vader. He's expected to be there June 20th through the 22nd. Uh, Matt Wood, who is General Grievous, is supposed to be there the following weekend, from the 27th to the 29th, as will Jeremy Bullock, who played Boba Fett. There's also, of course, going to be appearances from Disney characters, including Leia Minnie, Darth Vader Goofy, and Stormtrooper Donald. Finally, over at the resorts, it appears as though the Concourse Steakhouse at Disney's Contemporary Resort is going to close for good on May 31st, 2008, and will be replaced, as rumored earlier, with a counter-service location. Now, downstairs at the Contemporary, the Food and Fun Center conversion to the Wave is on schedule, and that new table service restaurant should open sometime in June. In the meantime, upstairs, you can go to the Tempo Grab and Go. That's operating on the Grand Concourse level near the Outer Rim Lounge as a temporary counter service option. There are some other rumors that I am working on, but I'm going to hold off just a little while until I can get a little bit more confirmation on some. Until then, if you have any rumors that you want to share, anything you see in the parks that you want to report, you can email me anytime at lou at wdwradio.com. You can also call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. think about Walt Disney World, we talk about attractions and shows and restaurants and more restaurants, the resorts, characters, and really just escaping reality for a brief period of time. But part of that escapism, we look to some of those experiences that might offer us maybe a brief thrill or an adventure, a laugh, or even what we've come to know as a magical moment. But there's an experience in Walt Disney World that does something that few others do and it allows you to step back in time to a golden age to enjoy a simple pleasure that many frequent guests might not even know exists. For in Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa, you can literally turn back the clock and indulge in the well-mannered tradition of sipping afternoon tea in true Victorian elegance. So to explore this experience that goes beyond a simple spot of tea, I wanted to welcome in listener Sarah Kelleth, who contacted me about one of her favorite and most memorable experiences in Walt Disney World. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks. 
I, I want to thank you for suggesting uh, what was a great topic, and we were talking kind of offline about this, that something I wanted to cover, but I just haven't had a chance to experience, which is heading over to the Grand Floridian, going to the Garden View Lounge, and experiencing this, this afternoon tea. Uh, why don't you tell us a little about when you went and, and sort of what your experience there was like? Sure. Well, actually, it's um, I have managed to drag my husband there uh, about five times now. <laughs> um, and uh, to give you an idea, he's a, a very large man. And so um, it's great fun trying to get him into the tiny little chairs and get him to sip tea with his finger out. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we we go there um, all the time because uh, we went there first on our honeymoon, and then we went there. Uh, actually, we got, went there first when we were engaged. Sorry, and then we went there on our honeymoon, and then we went there on our first anniversary, and so it's it's kind of become a tradition for us. I was gonna say I see, I see a trend forming uh, with the anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> so um, obviously, it's something that you and he. Either he really enjoys it or he really enjoys watching you enjoy it. So tell <laughs> us about the experience. Tell us about really what the, the happens at, over at the Garden View Lounge, where it is over at the Grand Floridian. And uh, clearly there's a lot more to it than just tea. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, for one thing, the atmosphere is great. I mean, when you walk into the Grand Floridian, I mean, assuming you're not going to Victoria and Alberts, you're going to go to probably the second most atmospheric part of it, I think. Um, it, you, you walk past the lobby and there's usually, because it's in the afternoon, there's usually somebody playing the piano or um, I think one time there was a brass band there. Um, so there's always some music going on and you get over there and the people are in costumes, really. Um, they, you, you were saying Victorian, um, but it's kind of like fantasy Victorian. <laughs> they have uh, the women are wearing the skirts with like multiple layers and and uh, the floppy hats and those they're just great. <laughs> and then uh, the you go in and you have uh, a grand tea basically is what we usually do um, which is kind of not just uh, uh, that you sit there and have a pot of tea but you have um, the whole really it's a meal. Um, we always walk out of there stuffed. You have uh, uh, tea sandwiches and um, you have uh, cakes and uh, scones and um, the best part for me is the very end you can have strawberries with cream and that's just, oh, you, you could go there just for that. Because <laughs> it's this huge bowl of the most beautiful ripe red strawberries and oh, the cream is just... But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good that you mentioned that because, you, like I said, it's sort of a misnomer when we talk about high tea and people are probably rolling their eyes saying, I'm not going to go to the Grand Floridian just to sip tea. But it really is a full meal. And we'll kind of talk a little bit about the oh, menu because, yeah. yeah, there's a full menu to uh, to enjoy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we they're only open from, I think, 2 o'clock to 4.30. Um, so it's it's at kind of a weird time for people because, you know, they're used to having lunch and dinner. But if you if you what we usually do is we skip lunch and we just go in there. And by the time we come out, it's, it's dinner ish time and we're not hungry <laughs> and we won't be hungry until about oh nine ten. Mm -hmm. So it's it's great. It's really a meal. <laughs> Yeah, I believe it's now open till 6 o'clock, so you can, if you want to skip lunch, have this almost a as a dinner, and looking at, at the menu, it looks like you probably could, and then maybe have a light snack later on. You really could do that and really make it oh, a yeah. full-blown experience. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the menu, because, uh, like I said, in addition to tea, there are appetizers and entrees and desserts and, and a variety of different drinks, and some of the appetizers mm -hmm. include 
uh, a cheese plate, a uh, an English blue Stilton cheese, English trifles, scones, a gentleman's tea platter, a gentleman's tea platter, uh, a plate of assorted tea sandwiches, the Sally Lund bread, strawberries and cream, and two jam tarts. Um, now, I, I assume that you've probably enjoyed some of these tea sandwiches in your multiple visits there. Oh, definitely. My favorite is the pear with the gorgonzola cheese. Oh, it's it's <laughs> it's so good. I mean, I, I I don't I don't usually like pears, but the way that they do it, they grill them and then they put the 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 gorgonzola cheese on it, so it's not overpowering, but it's just enough to give it some flavor. And they have it on this great like wheatish bread. Oh, it's so good. My husband hates them, which is great because he can give them all to me. <laughs> <laughs> we have a deal. He gives me those, and I give him anything with shrimp in it. There you go. Well, because it, def- it definitely sounds like you get a lot. And when you start to look at the entrees and the main courses, uh, these are these are pretty much full meals. And there's four that I was able to find. The first is the Buckingham Palace, which has the tea sandwiches, scones, and jam tarts, along with strawberries and cream, pastries, uh, obviously your choice of tea. That runs yeah. 1950. There's also the Prince Edward, which I understand is very popular, which has uh, a variety of different terrines and chicken and pork roulades, uh, country pate, uh, English cheeses, fresh berries, Cumberland sauce, scones, it goes on and on. Now you're looking at it at around $21. There's the Sally Lunn tea, which is Sally Lunn rolls. And I got a quick education as to what a Sally Lunn roll, um, <laughs> which is a, a sort of a, a sweet, yeasty bread, which is toasted, and they have apricot and other types of preserves. That's $13.50. And the Grand tea, uh, which really is sort of following in that tradition of afternoon tea in England, Grand Floridian style, where you have the tea sandwiches and scones and tarts, along with tea pastries and sparkling wines. That's twenty two fifty. Um, which of any of those have you tried, or, or you do you enjoy the most? Um, we've tried um, most of those. We haven't um, we haven't done the Sally Lund tea, so I haven't tried that bread yet. Um, but uh, for me, what we did was uh, during our engagement, we were like, okay, we're gonna go all out. We're gonna get the whole tea experience. So we got the Grand Tea. And um, it was very good. It was it was delicious. They had lots to choose from. Um, we ended up getting the strawberries for the first time there, and obviously that was hit. Um, the the wine I will say was was just uh, Chateau Saint Michel uh, champagne. So not not anything spectacular at all. They put a strawberry in it, so it was cute. But it, you know, don't don't get it for the wine. <laughs> um, but. Uh, the next time that we went, we, we weren't feeling like spending quite that much. And so we got the Buckingham Palace. I, that's what I would recommend because it's almost exactly the same thing. The only difference is the wine. You don't get the wine with it. And uh, I think uh, you don't get the English, the, the trifle. I don't think that's available. But that's not my favorite thing anyway. It's okay, but it's not as good as the rest of it. The, the portions are exactly the same and it's uh, considerably less. So that's what I would usually recommend for people. Hmm. Get the whole experience without as much money. <laughs> uh, there's also desserts. There's pastries and pound cakes. Obviously, we're talking about going for high tea, so there must be a, a wide variety of teas, and there are. Uh, there's everything yeah. from a selection of black teas from Oolong, English Breakfast, Earl Grey, Darjeeling, Cassis, or Mad Hatter. There's also some herbal teas with chamomile, uh, harmony, verbena, Jamaican spice, nobo whole fruit, um, a vanilla tea. There's some custom blends, which are made exclusively for the Garden View Tea Room, as well as a selection of white and green teas as well, which are obviously very, very popular. And there's also specialty drinks like Brandy Alexander, Champagne. Uh, what do you think of, now obviously you must be a tea drinker, what do you think about the selection? 
Uh, the selection's very good. I am definitely a tea drinker. Um, my husband and I, actually, one of the reasons we went there was that we go to, we have kind of a tradition that we go to a tea shop whenever we go to a new city um, and try, try to find a, a little tea place to go to. Um, and the tea here is very good. They have a good selection of it. Um, I highly recommend their signature um, their signature selection, the Garden View Blend. Um, they won't tell me what's in it. <laughs> uh, I've asked them repeatedly, but they won't give it up. Uh, but it's absolutely fantastic. And I, I very much like uh, really rich, dark teas. Um, this is uh, not quite so rich. It's more a little bit more mellow. But I like tea that you can put tea, uh, cream and sugar in without it uh, overcoming the tea, that it will actually help with the flavor. Um, and I'm trying not to geek out here too much, uh, but the uh, I love the signature blend. We, we we brought some of that home with us, and that's something too that they will let you anything that you really like. Um, you can buy it. You can buy a canister of it and bring it home, and they'll tell you how to make it. So that's great. And uh, my husband, on the other hand, he likes uh, tea with a lot of um, scent in it. Uh, the teas that really smell good. So he liked uh, a lot of the jasmine teas, and uh, they used to have a black currant. I don't know if they still have it or not, but uh, we have a canister of that at home. It's very, very good as long as you like uh, really, really strong fruity smells. <laughs> um, it, it, it's it's def- probably his favorite. Now, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of men who are racing to their iPods right now, trying to turn off so their <laughs> wives don't hear because they're saying number one. It sounds a little too foofy. Number two, I'm not a tea drinker. We should say, I've heard from many people that the pressed uh, coffee there is actually very, very good. Um, so if you're not a tea drinker, you're a coffee drinker. And yes, even though maybe that the dishes are served on, on Royal Dalton, China, and it is in a very beautiful, very warm lounge, uh, it's not quite maybe as, quote unquote, foofy as we're making it out to be. You can go they're dressed right from the parks. You don't need to really dress up in order to go. You can go very, very casually. Yes, absolutely. We've um, gone straight from the Magic Kingdom. We've gone to the Magic Kingdom in the morning and then gone straight from there to tea with, and no one batted an eyelash. They were just fine with us coming in, you know, with sweaty tank tops and all. <laughs> um, also, I will mention the, the Prince Edward's tea is uh, really popular with guys. That's what they always recommend um, for us when we come in and, and they see my husband they're like oh prince edward's tea for you um because it, it's more you know meaty it has pate right. I, I don't know but uh that that's what they usually recommend I, and it's it's very popular but not my favorite right. well you know the nice thing about this too and the reason why i wanted to sort of highlight this is it really offers you a nice diversion from racing through the parks and the magic kingdom you can hop on the monorail you could be at the grand floridian in a matter of minutes you're in this beautiful, very warm, very comfortable lounge. You're overlooking the gardens and the pool of the Grand Floridian. You can also take your children. They have a child's menu with Mrs. Potts tea that has tea sandwiches and tuna salad and ham and cheese and peanut butter and jelly. So you can really make it a full family experience if you want. And then dad can come and the brothers. It's not just for mothers and daughters, although I must admit this is probably something would be a real nice special afternoon for maybe a mom and her daughter to go and do together. Yes, and for for kids too, we we see kids in there fairly often. Um, not usually, it's not it's not loud or anything. I mean, it's a really small setting. There's not very many tables in there. Make sure you get your reservations in advance, um, because uh, if you if you try to go in the day of, you won't make it in, um, because it's just there's just not enough tables. Uh, but uh, that's part of the atmosphere. That's a 
good, a really nice part of it. And the kids that are in there are generally pretty quiet and involved in what they're doing because there's so much going on. And uh, they have chocolate milk for the kids, too, so they don't have to drink tea. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it could be a nice little break in the afternoon, kind of get yourself out of the heat. And again, it's it sounds like I was going to ask you if this was one of those things that it's just a super special thing and you just do once in a blue moon or can this be something that you do every trip or every other trip when you go down it sounds like it's really the latter oh yeah absolutely we do it uh almost constantly i mean if you think about it even if you do like the buckingham palace which is what we usually do uh that's you know around twenty dollars a person that's forty dollars well in disney if you're going to spend we we usually figure uh, you know a hundred dollars a day just for food and stuff and if you're going to skip lunch anyway and probably going to have a light dinner, you've got $60 left to spend that day. So it's, it's really it's not very expensive to do that kind of thing. And it's a big meal and it's really a great experience. The, the last time we were there, we went twice <laughs> in our week-long vacation. <laughs> right. And they do also take the Disney Dining Experience card, too. So you, that'll knock 20% off your final bill. Oh, great. I don't so. have it. <laughs> <laughs> um. The other thing I wanted to mention, too, you know, we talked about, you know, mothers, daughters and and being dressed casually. The one thing I I thought about, too, when I found you can do this is it's a great place for things like bridal showers or baby showers. So if you are going down there with the girls for a special event, this might be a great place to have it. Yeah, we actually saw a wedding outside the window one time. Um, the we were out there and they were having a wedding right out in the little um, terrace and, and with with the pavilion out there. And it was beautiful, sitting sipping tea and watching the bride go by. It was really nice. And if you really, really just want to plus the event uh, to the nth degree, Disney also has something that a lot of people don't know about uh, that also takes place there, and that's the My Disney Girls Perfectly Princess Tea Party. And this allows you and your, your daughter, or son, if you want to go with your son, you can take boys too, you have a very special tea party with Princess Aurora from Sleeping Beauty. And it's hosted by a character by the name of Rose Petal, who is a magical rose from Aurora's Garden. And there's a whole lot of events that go along with just the afternoon tea. There's sing-alongs, there's storytelling, they have a princess parade, uh, there's a cake, there's a meet-and-greet with Aurora. And every guest, you know, the child from 3 to 11, also receives a My Disney Girl collectible doll. If you've ever seen the American Girl dolls, it's along those same lines. They also get a tiara, the bracelets, and a whole lot of other things and certificates and whatnot. If boys do go, they also have a teddy bear and a, a, a prince crown instead of the doll and tiara. Obviously, the menu is somewhat the same. There's the hot tea, there's a luncheon plate, all the different sandwiches and crackers and whatnot, and they have a menu specifically for kids. The kicker is that it's $225, which includes a gratuity, and that's for an adult and a child, 3 to 11. Um, but I have to tell you that uh, this books up, you know, that hundred. you can start booking it 180 days out. This is something that actually does book up. It runs Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 1030 to noon. Uh, it's supposedly a wonderful, wonderful experience. I have a young daughter, as you may know, so I know I'll be locked into doing that or having my wife doing it with my daughter. Uh, but I've heard nothing but rave reviews. And coupled with, Sarah, what you have to say about the room itself, it sounds like it would be an exceptional experience. Yeah, you're making me wish I was eight again. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sarah, like I said, this sounds like it's a really wonderful experience, a great diversion for the parks, a great way to enjoy uh, you know, an overlooked area of the Grand Floridian. It sounds like a place you can take your time and enjoy. You're not going to be rushed in and out. You really can kind of savor the experience. Uh, anything else that we missed? Anything else maybe that we, you want to add about the experience? 
Well, I don't know. Um, the last time we were there, I don't know if we had our, uni- our anniversary buttons on. And I don't know if it was that or the fact that we got uh, a grantee um, again. But uh, they gave us roses on the way out. So and we saw them give it to a couple of other people. So uh, a lot of us got a free, beautiful little uh, pink and white rose on our way out. <laughs> that was a nice plus. Very nice. Very nice. So, like I said, and like you said at the beginning, this is something that you can walk up, but I would definitely suggest making reservations. You can make those by calling 407-WDW-DINE. Again, this is the first floor of the main lobby of the Grand Floridian. Nice and convenient to the Magic Kingdom if you want to kind of take a break during the day. Uh, Sarah Kelleth, I really appreciate you coming on, suggesting this topic and sort of exploring it with me a little bit. I think this is something I'll definitely have to take my entire family to go and do next time we're down. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Luke. There's another one of those research trips for food. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Part of the fun of visiting Walt Disney World isn't just the attractions and shows and, of course, the food. It's really about the little things that you can do and see to enhance your experience. And as you know by now, that's a big part of what I try and do with the show. And along the way, I often enlist the help of friends of the show, including people who are experts in the field. And when it comes to finding hidden Mickeys, no one excels at the task better than my man, Dr. Stephen Barrett, author of the Hidden Mickey's Field Guides to Walt Disney World and Disneyland, and owner of HiddenMickey'sGuide.com. Steve, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Lou. It's good to be back. Is it okay that I, that I called you my man? Because you are my man. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm honored, Lou. So, Steve, we were talking earlier, and we said this week we're going to try something a little bit new, and we're going to start to maybe do things maybe with a certain theme or an attraction, so as to better allow people to help find some of the hidden Mickeys in their favorite shows or rides or even queues. So what attraction or pavilion or theme are we going to kind of focus on today? I thought I would talk about, or we would talk about the the seas with Nemo and Friends Pavilion because it has a few, what I consider compelling hidden Mickey images. So I, I thought I'd talk about the pavilion there. All right. What do you say we talk about maybe five of your favorites in the seas and then some of the other ones, I'm sure there's got to be a lot more. We can have people head on over to Hidden Mickey's Guide and look at some of the photos over there, maybe kind of judge for themselves. Right. Absolutely. I would like to do that. And, you know, I'd like to start with the one in the aquarium. Actually, there's several. There are two rock Hidden Mickey's made of rocks in the Seas Pavilion. And as you know, there, there, there are rock hidden Mickeys around Disney World. Sometimes they're in the, in the cement, uh, in the ground, or in the walls. Uh, but occasionally they're, they're loose rocks. And sometimes these loose rock hidden Mickeys don't stay around. Or, you know, they can come and go. Now, the two, there are two in the, in the Seas Pavilion that I really, really like. Uh, the one that's been there for a while now, two or three years, 
is uh, is is a is a is a classic three circle Mickey made of rocks at the bottom of the aquarium. You can see it from the second level. It's the best place to see it. You go to the second level of the of the uh, Seas Pavilion and go to the about the fourth window on the right in the in the main concourse toward the the uh, circular area where you um, come around and walk back. If you look to the right, you'll see the rocks at the bottom of the aquarium there. The cool thing about this hidden Mickey is that a, a poster on my site claims that it was placed there by a guest. And fortunately, th th this was about a year and a half ago. Maybe, yeah, about a year and a half ago. Fortunately, it's remained, and the cast members not only have kept it in place, but they talk about it. When you go on Dive Quest, for example, the tour there at the Seas Pavilion, the the cast members talk about the hidden Mickey at the bottom of the aquarium. You can you can dive down and take a look at it when you're and when you're diving in the water. So this you're saying this is this was a hidden Mickey that a guest put there maybe during a dive quest. That yes, that's what this guest claimed. The poster claimed on my website that his. Uh, in fact, I'll read what what he wrote on my website that his daughter actually uh, during dive quest put the stones and the hidden Mickey formation at the bottom of the aquarium. So, you know, it's really cool. This, this is a classic three-circle Mickey made of rocks, that loose rocks at the bottom of the aquarium that have only been there about a year and a half, and it's, it seems like the cast members want to maintain it, and I, and I hope they do because it's a, it's a beautiful example of a, of a classic Mickey at the bottom of the aquarium. Well, the cool thing about this one, too, that I like is it's not just three rocks. It's not one large center stone and two smaller stones. This is actually a series of three circles made up of, you know, 15, 20 rocks each. So there was a lot yes. of time and effort put into to creating this one. And it's beautiful because, I mean, there's definitely no question that this is, this is a true hidden Mickey. It's absolutely purposeful, and it's made of many rocks. You're right. And I, I just love seeing it. Every time I'm in the... Um, Seas Pavilion. I make a point of looking at it. The other, the other rock Mickey there is is at the bottom of the manatee pool. If you, again, uh, it's best seen on the second level. And if you uh, walk to the manatee pool, now th this is an image just made of three rocks. This is just one, two, three rocks, and uh, it's not perfectly proportioned, but. It certainly seems purposeful. A lot of people have sent me photos of this image. Uh, I believe it's a it, it's a hidden Mickey. I don't know who put it there. I assume it's one of the cast members. But again, it's been there for a while now, and maybe uh, I would say six to nine months, maybe. And you know, if you look at the pictures on the site. That first picture is admittedly a little iffy at best, right. but the other one's definitely, I guess maybe it's it's based on your vantage point or whatever angle that you might be yeah. looking at it from, but the second one's clearly make it look like it's a, it's a purposeful one. Yes, and I, I like it. I, I like it as a, as a uh, purposeful, classic, three-circle, uh, hidden Mickey. Also, what matters to me, Lou, is the the, uh, the amount of, posts and responses I get from an image. If a lot of people write me about a certain image, and as you see on, on, uh, on my website, I have a number of people, you know, eight, six or eight people or more who've written me about this image. 
that that means a lot to me because uh, I assume that uh, the majority of people out there are, are going to uh, are going to use discriminating criteria for for what what constitutes a, a classic or a hidden Mickey. And if a lot of people write me about an image, uh, it certainly sways me to accept it. So I like this as a hidden Mickey, and I hope it stays. It's been there for a while. As what happens at Disney World and, and Disney parks around the world, I assume, is that uh, if, if cast members and Imagineers accept an image and you know want to keep it, it, it definitely will remain in place. So I hope I hope this one stays for a while. It's it's a good it's a good uh, rock three circle uh, classic Mickey that I like. So those are the two rock Mickeys at at uh, the Living Sea, uh, not the Living Sea, but the Seas with Nemo Pavilion that, that I like, that I check every time I'm there. There are a few other compelling Hidden Mickey images there that I want to I wanna mention. There's two new ones. As you know, the uh, Turtle Talk show changed uh, uh, locations in the Seas Pavilion. It, it, it moved over to a new theater and it has a new waiting queue, waiting area. And inside that waiting room are some new displays. Uh, I would say behind glass, there, there, there are murals along the wall. And there's two really good uh, hidden Mickeys in those, in those displays, in, the, in those murals that um, I, I want to mention. One of them is, is a perfect three-circle classic Mickey, and it's in the first <clears throat> window to your right when you walk into the waiting area. There's a series of, it looks like stones, or coral maybe, they're purple, different shades of purple, light, light purple, and um, some of them are grayish. There's, there's a blue tube uh, type of uh, image and in that window and if you go about two-thirds of the way down from the top of that tube it's to the left of the tube and you look in these these uh, these corals and you'll see this uh, really really cool classic Mickey I haven't posted those on my website yet but I will uh, do that at some point because I'm mentioning them now as new and I want to tell the you know, listeners about that, but and and you know, Lou, when when Disney refurbishes an area or changes uh, an area for an attraction or a show, they will often pop in uh, new hidden Mickey's, and and uh, I, I certainly encourage people who are looking for new hidden Mickey's that that's one of the first places you want to go. Is a, is a new refurbished attraction or, you know, a new venue, a new location, or certainly a new attraction. Now, there, there's there's one more I want to mention while we're talking about it. It's, it's a very compelling, compelling hidden Mickey, and it's in the Coral Reef Restaurant. Now, the for a long time, th this hidden Mickey's been there a while. It's a classic three-circle Mickey. I would go to the Coral Reef Restaurant periodically, to, uh, and I'd tell the cast members there, I'd you know, I want to look for this hidden Mickey, but they they would usually not allow me in the restaurant unless I had a reservation. Even when you start throwing around the "Hey, I'm Steve Barrett," yeah, the book kind of nothing. 
It doesn't always work, Lou. You know, I, I, I what, what, what would work is if I cash. had a cash, 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 cash works. <laughs> that's yeah. what you need, cash. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Um, no, the, the, certain restaurants. The Coral Reef is 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 a, is a restaurant. It's it's um, you know the, the walkway back to the restaurant is narrow, and it, and and uh, people waiting to be seated are, are sitting on on, uh, on benches and, and uh, couches on the side of the walkway. So it's it's not a really open restaurant. So. I think the cast, cast members are more protective of, of that restaurant because I'm sure a lot of people would just want to go in there and look at the aquarium, you know, walk around the restaurant, look at the fish, because it's a beautiful restaurant. I, I think it's probably harder to get in that restaurant as opposed to, for example, the Sci-Fi Dine-In restaurant. Um, I cruise in there fairly often, just walk in there to look for hidden Mickeys. I have the image up on my, my website. It's a beautiful uh, three-circle classic making in tile. As you face the aquarium on the second level of the restaurant, look for the third vertical divider from the le- from your left in the restaurant. There are dividers dividing uh, the tables from the aisles, and these dividers are made of, of tile. If you look about a quarter of the distance, one quarter of the distance down from the top of that divider, you'll see a beautiful tile three circle mickey it kind of reminds me of the one in the polynesian on the uh, kona coffee kona coffee bar when i saw this one i thought of the floor of the lobby of the great ceremonial house over at the polynesian because there, like here you've got all these slate tiles that are cut on very definite angles whereas the hidden mickey there just like the hidden mickey here there was definitely some time and effort put into making uh, these tiles and, and over there that the pieces of slate into circles right. to create to actually create the hidden Mickey. Yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, clearly, and that that means a lot to me. If 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 you can tell that uh, that the image is purposeful, then that carries a lot of weight, especially if it's proportioned somewhat correctly. And this one meets uh, all the criteria that I like for a for a for a classic. Well, you've got pictures of most of the ones that you, that you talked about tonight on the website. There's also a number more that we didn't cover that obviously have pictures associated with them. And the nice thing about the site, too, and what you can do from the segment and the site is that next time you go to Walt Disney World, you can print out pictures of some of these at the different pavilions. So when you're going, you can hand your kids or your wife or husband, whoever the big hidden Mickey hunter is, the sheets of paper that you print out. And really try and follow your directions to find them and then use the pictures as a reference. Right. That would be a wonderful way to do it. Yeah, Disney does not let me use photos in the Hidden Mickey's book, but I have the website. So absolutely printing the pictures will help. Uh, That's the way I do it. When I go to Disney World and look for new Hidden Mickey's, I carry any photos with me that people have sent me. That very much helps. And, of course, if you are an endeavoring explorer and you happen to find a hidden Mickey that Steve might not have on his site because there are new ones popping up all the time, uh, the great thing is you can take a picture yourself, send it in to Steve. If he uses it up on the site, he'll credit you for it and use your photo if you give him permission to. So you can kind of help Steve out in his research and, and get yourself uh, published up on hiddenmickeysguide.com. So, and, of course... Next time we go down to Walt Disney World, make sure you pick up your copy of the Hidden Mickey's Field Guide to Walt Disney World, and make sure you check out Hidden Mickey's Guide as well. You can also contact Steve there 
view pictures. There's a whole lot of fun stuff, interactive stuff to do on the site. And uh, Steve, as always, it's a pleasure having you come on the show. And I look forward to seeing you again and uh, hunting some hidden, hidden Mickeys with you next time we get a chance to get together. Absolutely, Lou. It's always good seeing you, and it's really fun to be on your show. I know that I am way behind in answering your listener emails, and for that I apologize, but we're going to try and get through as many as we can this week. The first one comes from Charlie from Leonardtown, Maryland, who writes, Lou, love the podcast, always entertaining. My question is about the Disney Star Wars big figs you mentioned a couple of weeks ago. I will be down in Walt Disney World in June, arriving on Sunday the 8th and leaving Friday the 13th. Are the mini big figs and pins only available during the weekends, or are they available during the week as well? Since we'll be arriving on Sunday, I don't want to take up a full-day ticket on a half-day of the studios, but if I can only get the big figs on the weekends, I will. Thanks in advance, Charlie. Charlie, uh, once Star Wars Weekends begins, the figures and the pins and all the special edition merchandise will be available all the time, even during the weeks, uh, once the weekends have begun. Remember, though, they might sell out depending on the quantity, what items you're looking for. Again, some of the big things do sell out very, very quickly, although you are going down Sunday the 8th, I don't think you'll have very much of a problem. Next question comes from Alan Broom from Georgia who writes, Hi Lou, my family is planning a trip to Walt Disney World in February 2009 and will be traveling with another family. Question one is, when can I expect to book a trip? Neither the Disney website nor the Disney reservationist I spoke to on the phone can give me any idea of hotel rates. I realize that Disney hasn't announced the 2009 rates as yet, but February 2009 is less than a year away. I'm going to stop and answer this first. Um, my understanding is that a room-only reservation can usually be made about 500 days in advance. Now, I don't know if, if you talked to her about that when you tried to call or how long ago you actually tried to call and make a reservation. You might want to try calling a Disney-specialized travel agent. They, they might be able to help you out with this as well. Uh, maybe get a reservation for you, and then if the rates change, they might have to adjust as necessary. Uh, I do know that when you do book this far out, you do need to make a deposit that's equal to one night stay. That rate might change, again, once the, the new rates um, have been made available. You can also convert it to a package once the, the 2009 package dates and rates have been released. Again, this is, again, one of those situations where a Disney specialized travel agent is, is definitely your best friend as they will be able to not only keep a very close eye on this for you, but be able to get you the best possible rates. Now, your second question is that with the two families traveling together, we'll have a total of eight people, four adults and four children. Would we qualify as a grand gathering? And if so, would there be any benefit to booking as a grand gathering? I really enjoy the show. Thanks for all the information, the laughs, and all the hard work you do putting the shows together. Well, let's kind of take this step by step and let's explain exactly what a grand gathering is. A grand gathering is for a, a trip of, of family or friends who travel to Walt Disney World together for groups or eight or more. Now, what Disney did was they created this program called Grand Gatherings, which really does provide some special opportunities for groups uh, traveling with eight or more. Again, all these people in the group have to be ages three or up. They do uh, a lot of different one-of-a-kind experiences that and can really kind of cater to your somewhat smaller group, which you can do 
uh, international dinners, illuminations dessert parties, the Savari celebration dinner, the good morning gatherings over at Tony's Town Square restaurant. You can do uh, a magic fireworks voyage, which is uh, a dessert party that's hosted by Captain Hook, and you can kind of go on a cruise of the Seven Seas Lagoon to view wishes. A lot of different things like that. Not only that, you can also get exclusive offers to kind of pre-order some custom merchandise to enhance the gathering. There's uh, a dedicated team of Grand Gatherings travel planners, which is really sort of at your service to help plan every detail of everything from hotels to tickets to dining to special photo ops and a lot more. You really sort of get an, an added level of concierge service when you do a Grand Gathering like this. But honestly, for an event like this, and especially for an event like a Grand Gathering, this is where, as the, the, the previous email, a Disney specialized travel agent would really benefit you because they know all the ins and outs. They know what they can get for you. They also know what some of the restrictions are. So, because for example, in order to qualify for a grand gathering, at least 80% of the group has to be staying on Disney property. So, if four of the guests are staying off property or if they're, if they're renting a vacation home, they can't participate in the grand gathering event and you can't qualify, even if the people who are trying to make the bookings, you know, all four of them are staying on property. So if you're staying off property or if some of the group is even staying at one of the good neighbor hotels in downtown Disney, they will not qualify. And that's one of the things that you definitely have to keep in mind. Like I said, there's a lot of different uh, elements to a grand gathering. I highly suggest if you have a Disney specialized travel agent that you use, uh, this is probably one of the, the definite times that I would take advantage of their services. Next question comes from Mike, who says, Hey, how you doing, Lou? I haven't submitted a question in a while, but I hope you remember me. If not, it's all gravy. I am 18 years old, and I'm going on my sixth vacation with my parents this year to Walt Disney World for six days. And while I know that I will have a great time with them, I still think I want to get away from them for a couple of hours during the week. Good idea. It's my first year being at Walt Disney World while being 18 years old, and I've always wondered what the clubs are like at Pleasure Island. Do you know by any chance... What are some of the good clubs for me to see? Uh, maybe some other people around my age. Also, would the entrance to the club cost any money? Thanks a lot. And if you don't remember me, look back at your first question ever answered on the WDW radio show. That was me. Thanks again, Mike. Mike, thank you for the question. And uh, I definitely see your point about wanting to kind of get out and explore on your own. Uh, as far as Pleasure Island is concerned, as of January 1st, 2007, you have to be 21 or older in order to enter a few of the clubs, including the BET Soundstage, 8-Tracks, Mannequins, Motion, and the Rock and Roll Beach Club. Those who are under 18 uh, won't be admitted to those clubs, although you can get into the Adventures Club and the Comedy Warehouse. If you're under 18, you obviously have to be accompanied by an adult. Now, that being said, your options are somewhat limited if you restrict yourself to Pleasure Island. Now, the Adventures Club is a great time... I love it. The, the kind of the tough thing for you is that you can't buy a single club admission ticket just to the Adventures Club. You have to buy the multi-club ticket, which would get you into all clubs. But since you're only 18, not 21, you're going to be paying for admission really just to uh, Adventures Club, which is going to run you probably about $22. I still think it's worth it. But if you're looking for a different type of atmosphere, you might want to consider doing a couple of things. You can also go to Raglan Road. Might not be the 18-year-old crowd, but it's a lot of fun there. Another place to consider is maybe heading on over to the House of Blues. You can get in if you want to eat something. You could probably also, you know, hang out. There's a lot of live music and entertainment. Obviously, you're not going to be able to drink because you're not 21, but it doesn't sound like that's the reason why you're going there, just really more for the social aspect. And even if you just want to kind of wander around uh, downtown Disney at night, it's a great place to hang out, and I'm sure that you are not, you are not going to be the only 18-year-old 
who's spending some time down there um, just looking to do some socializing. Next question comes from Joe, who is DW Fan Family from Seattle. And he says, Lou, my wife and I were recently discussing our most recent trip to Walt Disney World when we started talking about all the parades, which got me thinking, hmm, I wonder how many parades go on here in a week. So I figured if I'd ask anyone, you'd be the man. Awesome show. Thanks for all you do, Joe. All right, Joe, let's do a little uh, off the top of our head math real quick. And if I'm wrong, I'll blame it on the lack of sleep. Uh, In the Magic Kingdom, you've got the Disney Dreams Come True Parade. You've also got Spectro Magic. And I think we can qualify the Family Fun Day Parade as one of the parades to count here. Over at Hollywood Studios, you have the Block Party Bash. Animal Kingdom, you have Mickey's Jam and Jungle Parade. And if you want to get really, really technical, we can also consider the Electrical Water Pageant a parade because it has listed as such, I believe, So that would be six parades a day times seven days a week. So I'm going to ballpark it at about 42 parades. Go on every week. If you don't want to count out uh, Electrical Water Pageant, obviously you could just subtract six from there and get whatever 42 minus six is. So, um, again, I very well might be missing some, but like I said, off the top of my head, I think it's probably averaging around 42. Next question comes from Megan Shearer, who said, Hey, Lou, love the new show. My family and I are heading down to Walt Disney World for spring break, March 27th through April 1st. We have reservations at Port Orleans French Quarter, one of my favorites, which we have never stayed at before. And I was wondering if you have any information about good dining or activities we could check out. Thanks and keep up the great work. Well, Megan, if you've listened to the show before, you know that I can make dining recommendations till I'm blue in the face and probably spend the entire show um, just kind of going through some of my favorite um, places to dine. If you listen back on some of the older shows, I'm sure I can give you some examples. If you have a specific question about maybe casual dining or more upscale dining, I'd be happy to make some specific recommendations for you. Um, Hopefully, because it's spring break when you're going down, hopefully you've booked some of these things in advance because you might have a tough time getting some of these now. But let's move on to the second part of your question. You're talking about some of the other activities you could check out. Uh, I don't really know how old you are, as well as other people in your group. So it's hard for me to recommend maybe some of the special events without knowing your ages and interests. Um, You know, you might want to do something off the beaten path like horseback riding or miniature golf or the water parks. Uh, If you're maybe a little bit older, maybe you want to go over to uh, Flower and Garden, do some wine tasting at some of the different pavilions there. Obviously try and take in some of the exhibits and seminars that they have as well as the Flower Power Concert Series. You're going at a great time of year despite the crowds. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and like I said, if you have any specific questions, by all means, p- please feel free to email me and I'll, and I'll answer it for you via email. Email is from Kevin Williams, and it's not really a question as much as it is a comment and sort of uh, asking for advice that I thought I would share with you and get your, the listener, input as well. And Kevin said, Lou, with all the recent changes going on in the Pleasure Island area these days, plus the recent discussions about Lanuba shutting down or being replaced, although I have not heard that, I thought of an idea that could possibly help revitalize that area even more. Taking cues from Las Vegas and New York City, Disney could build a large professional theater and have Disney-produced Broadway shows in Walt Disney World. Think about it. So many people can't make it up to New York City or over to Vegas, and I know lots of people would cough up the money to see a Broadway version of shows like The Lion King or The Little Mermaid. Disney could use the venue to try out new shows before they go to Broadway, and when there are no shows playing, Disney could use the space for concerts by major recording stars. I think it would be loads of fun to see a big concert by my favorite artists while I was on vacation, simply because not everyone tours in my area. It would definitely add another option for parents to take their kids out or to have or even a romantic evening at the theater as a couple. 
Broadway tickets for cost around $100 for really decent seats. Imagine the profit Disney could make your thoughts. Kevin, off the top of my head, you know, that's not a bad idea, offering another entertainment venue. There has been a rumor for some time now about Disney doing something like this, another ticketed venue where, where guests could go and see some shows which are family-themed, where, where the entire family could go. That has obviously sparked a debate about yet another hard-ticketed, quote-unquote, event. Here you're talking about something a little bit different. You're talking about a show along the same lines as La Nuba, but really more in the Broadway style. I agree with you that many people cannot get up to Broadway, and it's a shame because shows like The Lion King and Mary Poppins and Beauty and the Beast are just spectacular. It'll be great to allow guests the opportunity to see that while they're in Walt Disney World. But like I said, I would love the listeners to weigh in. We'll post a thread over in the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com in the WDW Radio Show section, and I ask listeners to to either call in or weigh in on the forums. Let me know what you think about Kevin's uh, plan and question. Juliet wrote to me and said, Hey Lou, the show has been great lately and I have a question. I wanted to know if Wide World of Sports has fencing strips because I am a saber fencer and my teammates want to plan a trip there to fence, Juliet. Juliet, I actually did a lot of research online. I even called the Wide World of Sports. And according to the cast member that I spoke to on the phone, she said there were no fencing strips there, although uh, you do raise an interesting question. I mean, I'm sure it would be a wonderful venue to have fencing tournaments if they did have that in place and I couldn't imagine... Um, it would be at some sort of great expense to have that. So maybe that's something you could talk to if, them, if there's some sort of saber fencing organization. Uh, maybe they know of something or a possibility of having an event or tournament down in the wide world of sports because it is an awesome venue. Next email comes from Brian B. from Riverside, California. He said, hey, Lou, I've only been to Walt Disney World once in 2004, and I went on what I thought was a really cool ride. It consisted of a robot, which I believe was the voice of Robin Williams. It was in a theater, similar to what you described as the, in the China Pavilion. So I guess what I'm asking is, is it still there, and what was the name of that ride? Oh yeah, I love the podcast, by the way. Well, Brian, the attraction that you're talking about was the Timekeeper, and yes, it was Robin Williams who were 100% right, and I agree with you that it was a really, really good, unfortunately often overlooked attraction, but I have bad news, my friend, and that is the Timekeeper is gone. It was replaced with the Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor Comedy Club, the Timekeeper closed in early 2006, and the Laugh Floor Comedy Club opened in 2007. I am I'm sorry to have seen it go. I really like that attraction, and it's definitely something that I plan on covering in-depth on the show. I'm sure if you look in places like YouTube online, you could probably find some fan videos of the attraction if you want to get a good look at it one more time. Next email comes from Toby in Franklin, Louisiana, and said, Hey Lou, I'm interested in more information on Divine in Animal Kingdom. I understand this is an amazing site, that most people might miss. We've never made it a point to search for, but we always keep an eye out for her without any luck. What would be the best strategy to get a glimpse of her as far as location, time, etc.? Any information is appreciated. Thanks, Toby. Toby, I agree with you, and I've mentioned Divine on the show before. She is an amazing live performer. She can be found on the walkway between Harambee and Asia in Disney's Animal Kingdom. She kind of literally emerges right from the trees and the plants and the undergrowth and the bushes, and she is a sort of living character on stilts and covered with, obviously, vines, hence her name. She is absolutely stunning and striking and beautiful and graceful and so many other things. Uh, you can probably find videos of her online that don't do it justice. She really doesn't have a set schedule. 
but if you go into Harambe or if you go into Asia, you might be able to ask. People will, will might be able to try and look up for you when she's going to be there. You really need to take your time as you're walking along that pathway. She's she's on the side that faces the tree of life and again she sort of might just slowly creep out of the bushes at any unspecified time but uh, if you have a chance to take a look and stop and watch her um, she is absolutely something amazing to behold and again one of those overlooked hidden treasures in Disney's Animal Kingdom that's unfortunately all the time I have to answer your listener email this week I know I have many more to get to I promise I will get to them in the upcoming weeks but again if you have a question a comment suggestion anything that at all I can help you with Send your questions to lou at wdwradio.com. That's all the time we have this week. I really appreciate you tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks to my guests, Steve Barrett and Sarah Kelleth, and of course to everybody who wrote and called in. If you want to be a part of the show and get on the air, the easiest way is simply to call into the WDW Radio Show voicemail line at 206-202-4WDW. That's 206-202-4939 with your questions, comments, topic suggestions, reviews, reports, and if you just want to say hello from the parks, Feel free to call in as well. You can also email me anytime at lou at wdwradio.com to have your questions answered on the show. I will be heading back to Walt Disney World next week, and I promise to bring you back some very interesting content for the show. And if you're in the parks during that time and happen to see me huddled next to some obscure rock furiously taking notes or recording something, please come on over and say hello. Also, please come by our show notes page every week at wdwradio.com where I'll post additional information, photos, and links to topics I cover on the show each week. There you're also going to find links to the WDW Radio Show forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com, where you can log in and discuss anything you hear on the show. You'll also find links to some of my recommended products and services, including many valuable trip planning resources, such as Orlando Fun Tickets, where you can get the best prices, and more importantly, the best service on authorized and official discounted Walt Disney World theme park tickets. And when you visit Walt Disney World, do you find yourself lugging the same items all the time in your suitcases, or are you running out to pick up items you may have forgotten at home? What would you always like to have on hand at your resort, or maybe what are you tired of carrying back and forth? Well, visit ownerslocker.com and discover all the uses that you may have never thought of for your own personal secure storage locker that's delivered to and from your resort. Again, I use it and I love my purple storage locker. For more information, you can head on over to ownerslocker.com. Also, be sure and head out and check out the new issue of Orlando Attractions Magazine at attractionsmagazine.com. That new issue is going to include a photo feature on the new Aquatica, the Spaceship Earth refurbishment, the top hotel pools in Orlando, a resort report on Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge, and a restaurant report on Emerald's Chop Chop Restaurant. And if you are a fan of the show and you want to show it, you can get your official WDWRadio.com t-shirts and sweatshirts and more from the link on the site as well. And finally, if you like the show, please review us in iTunes and more importantly, Please help spread the word and let others know about it. Have a great week. Happy Easter. And thanks for tuning in once again. See ya.